All right, good evening. While I'm getting myself arranged here, um, if you'd be finding your way to Matthew chapter 2, I don't really believe in coincidences, but uh, before I knew what the order of service would be for tonight, I had uh, been led to a message on the three wise men, the gifts of the Magi, and that was what we led off with in song tonight, so... Uh, that um, that fit pretty well. I do want to thank uh, Brother Randy for the opportunity uh, to speak tonight. I, it's not a um, an opportunity I take flippantly. We want to always be sure we handle the Word of God properly. Uh, so tonight, as we look at the um, the Magi or the Wise Men, uh, Matthew is the only book that records the visit of these. Uh, Magi, so he records it, he's the only one, but he did so under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So if it's in the Bible, there's a message for us here. So that's what I want us to find tonight. So if you follow along with me, beginning in Matthew 2, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring word back to me, that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in the dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. We thank you for this account that Matthew has recorded here about uh, the visitors to our Lord. And I pray, Father, now that you give me the words to say as we go through this message and that we would take to heart what you'd have us to hear. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, tonight, let's, we're going to look at the wise men, we're going to look at Herod, then we're going to look at the three gifts, because those each one have uh, significance for us. If your Bible has the phrase wise men or magi, whichever one, it's from the same uh, Greek word, and it's where we get our word magician. Now, this is not a magician in the sense that we would think. Mary and Joseph did not hire someone to come and make balloon animals 
or to pull a coin from behind the Lord's ear at a birthday party or something. That's not what the kind of magicians these were. They were Gentile religious astrologers, and they had observed an astronomical phenomenon. Where were they from? Verse 1 tells us they were from the east. Now that's kind of arbitrary because anywhere east of where they were was east. But uh, scholars have, have said they were possibly from Babylon or Persia or Arabia. I tend to think Babylon. I think that's plausible. That's modern-day Iraq. And the reason I believe this is because many years before this event, there was a great prophet of God who was captive in Babylon named Daniel. And we read that uh, Daniel interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and after he did that, he was placed in charge of all the wise men in Babylon, the same word here, magi, these wise men in Babylon, that's in Daniel chapter 2. And in fact, when Daniel interpreted this dream, the lives of these other wise men were saved. And Daniel was put in charge over them, so there's no doubt that once, for one, when he saved their lives, and two, he was their boss, they surely would have listened to him as he prophesied about the coming Messiah and telling about the things of the one true God. And I would say that these were passed down rather orally, or they may have been written down all the way down to these wise men that came to see the Lord. But whether they were from Babylon or wherever, what we understand, it was a rather lengthy trip and the terrain was rough. There was no airplanes, jets, cars, trains, or buses. Uh, from what we see usually in movies, they were riding on camels. And this was potentially about 300 miles that they traveled. So this wasn't an easy trip. So where were they going? Well, these stargazers, they had been studying the stars. They saw a new star shining in their eastern sky. Uh, which actually, it, they were in the east and they saw it shining in the west. And for them, a new star often signaled the birth of royalty. So they saw the star in the west and then they traveled westward from the east. Now this would have been a prophecy they were familiar with if indeed uh, Daniel had been with them. Uh, he would have passed down things like uh, the oracle of Balaam in Numbers 24. It says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and batter the brow of Moab, and destroy all the sons of Tumult. So this was something they probably had heard had been passed down, and they were seeking the new king of the Jews. They assumed he would be born in Jerusalem, so that's where they went. They went to Jerusalem to the palace of Herod. Now if you notice in verse 2, this does not say we are seeking the one who will someday be king of the Jews. He said, they say we are seeking the one who was born king of the Jews. From birth he was born into this royal position. It wasn't that he would be someday, but he was 
the king of the Jews. And this title, king of the Jews, that would follow Jesus all the way to the cross where it would be nailed above his head as a wrongful accusation of blasphemy. So, so from his birth, his young days, until his crucifixion, that went along with who he was. He was indeed their king. So in Herod's palace, Herod pulled together all the religious leaders and they said, well, you need to go to Bethlehem, which is about another five or six miles. So they went out of Herod's palace and they saw the star. And at this point, the star started moving before them, pointing to Jesus. And this caused them to rejoice with exceeding great joy. Now, as far as what the star was, there's been a lot of theories. If you look at um, commentaries, there's a lot of historical astronomical data. They want to say it was a convergence of planets, or it was this, or it was that. And some of these make sense because they'll find a time period around when Jesus was born. But some of them are really far-fetched. And sadly, many, even in commentaries, have tried to explain away the supernatural nature of this star that led the Magi. But stars don't move. It says it moved and led them. So what I remember is I remember the pillar of cloud and fire that led the children of Israel in the wilderness. And I also remember how the night that Jesus was born, that God's glory shone round about the angels and the shepherds when they were out there in the fields. So I think the, the easiest explanation would be to say that this was merely, no, merely, the Shekinah glory of God, that God himself was leading these wise men to where his son was at. I don't think it was a star that we can go back and say, well, this is this in the night sky or this. I believe it was actually the glory of God pointing the way to his son. Isaiah chapter 60 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all, they all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be nursed at your side. Then you shall see and become radiant, and your heart shall swell with joy, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. The multitude of camels shall cover your land. The dromedaries of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and incense, and they shall proclaim the praises of the Lord. Isaiah's prophecy sounds a lot like these wise men, doesn't it? It's a very, very close description. But here in Matthew's gospel, and if you've done any study uh, at all, you know Matthew is the first gospel in the New Testament because it's the most Jewish of the gospels. It ties to the Old Testament. But here in this most Jewish of the gospels, the first people we see worshiping the Jewish Messiah 
are these Gentile kings from the nations. Jesus truly came for all people. So when did the wise men arrive? Well, verse 1 says, after Jesus was born. This is rather indeterminate. Um, as we are here tonight, I stand here and you sit here after Jesus was born. We fall into that timeline the same that they do. So we don't know exactly, but we know that they came after he was born. But we read down on, in, on down in verse 7 that Herod pulled them aside and said, well, when did the star appear? So he got a timeline from them. So then in verse 16, after the wise men went home a different way, Herod uh, decreed that all male children in Bethlehem and the surrounding area, age two and under, uh, should be put to death. And I believe he based this on the timeline that the wise men gave. So um, probably Jesus was a year or two old. Uh, they did not come the night of the nativity. They came sometime later, and with as long a trip as they took, that does make sense. But notice verse 11, the wise men visited the uh, young child in the house, not the baby in the manger. Uh, your original language there, young child versus baby, is significant. This was a child that would have been a toddler, uh, most likely. So I think it supports uh, Jesus being a year or two old. Were these wise men kings? That's what we sang tonight, we three kings of Orient. Nothing specifically says that they were kings, but they were some sort of upper class nobility. Uh, they had an easy access to an audience with Herod. Not just anyone could have went in and talked to King Herod, especially that time of the evening. And they had the resources to make the trip from the east. And the gifts that they brought to Jesus were not inexpensive. These were expensive gifts. Plus, what I read a while ago in Isaiah, uh, it does mention Gentile kings bringing expensive gifts to the Lord. So, I'm not going to say they were kings. I'm not going to say they weren't kings. I'll let you make your mind up, okay? Uh, it kind of sounds like they were high up, if not kings. Were there just three wise men? Again, Scripture doesn't say. But since it says wise men and not wise man, we know there were at least two. We will leave it there. Now, let's look at King Herod for a few minutes. Uh, this Herod was one of many Herods, and, and he, this one was called Herod the Great. He was an Idumean that means he was from the area of Idumea, that was the ancient land of Edom, the descendants of Esau. Uh, they, the Jews didn't like uh, someone that was not of their people being their king. And if we look at the descendants of Esau today, uh, they are primarily the people who are of the Muslim faith. 
they and the Jewish people still are at odds daily. So from ancient days, this was a, was a conflict. But he was uh, given the kingship of Judea by the Roman government. It wasn't that the Jewish people wanted him. That's just Rome placed him as king. Uh, so this king of the Jews that the wise men were seeking, this was a threat to his position. Uh, Herod ruled um, Judea from 37 B.C. until 4 B.C. Uh, we know that when Herod sent out the decree to kill the children aged 2 and under, that the angel told Mary and Joseph to take the child and go to Egypt, and they waited there until Herod died. So if they were there waiting on Herod to die in 4 B.C., uh, Jesus was most likely born in 6 to 5 B.C. Um, I know we like to think, well, he was born 1 A.D., that 20 minutes B.C. that Mary and Joseph were looking for a hotel room. That's not really uh, how it went down, but uh, they, historians get it pretty close. He was probably born around 6 B.C., since Herod died in 4 Herod had 10 wives and 15 children, so we can't really put him in the column of being a wise man. Um, he was a shrewd political tyrant, and that's one thing that got him in the position that he was a great politician, but later in life, uh, sickness and paranoia set in. Um, Two of his sons were rumored to be wanting to take his place. He had them executed. Um, the wife, uh, the parents of his favorite wife, uh, he had them tried and executed. Then afterward, when she objected, he had his favorite wife executed. Um, of course, we've already talked about this, but he was threatened by the Christ child, so he had all the male children age two and under, in and around Bethlehem, killed. And as he grew towards the end of his life, he is quoted as saying, Get some of the best-known citizens of our land, and when I die, put them to death. Because if they don't shed any tears for me, maybe they'll shed some tears for them. And I want there to be some tears when I die. In addition to that order that he gave for these to be killed when he died, uh, he gave orders for another one of his sons, uh, Antipater, to be executed uh, as well when, at his death. So Herod was an evil, hateful, murderous man. And I have, in the past, I've given the, the religious leaders there in the palace that night, I've given them a hard time because here they were five or six miles from, from where the Christ child was being born and they were saying this is, this is where he's supposed to be and it's pretty good chances that's him. But they were probably terrified. They were serving this guy who would probably kill them if they went out to see this new king. So I give them a little bit of a pass now. But the wise men, they didn't realize it when they came to Herod's temple but they were really in a dangerous situation themselves 
seeking the child and Herod was cordial to him, but I believe it's so he could get the information he needed to seek this king out later. And had the angel not rerouted their trip, uh, when they came back through, Herod may have killed them once he found out what, they, what he wanted to know. But we see that the wise men, they came a great distance. They traveled over difficult terrain, and they found themselves in potential danger. And they did this all because they knew of this Jewish prophecy. They saw this star in the east, and they went to worship the Christ child. So that makes me think, after all that they went through, why am I here tonight? Why are you here tonight? Why did you come to church this evening? Is it because you feel Jesus is worthy of worship, honor, and glory? Is that why you came? Dr. Adrian Rogers said, In America today, I think the biggest cult is the cult of the comfortable. Those who don't want to be disturbed if the weather is not right, or if guests come, or if there's some other problem, why then they don't seem to be able to make it to worship. And I understand providential hindrance. I've been there before as well. But it is our sacred privilege to come and worship the Savior. So I hope that each one of you are here tonight to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So now let's look at the gifts of the wise men. Verse 11, and when they had come into the house, again, not the barn, not the stable, but the house, they saw the young child, not the baby, with Mary his mother and fell down and worshiped him. They did not fall down and worship Mary. Keep that in the back of your minds for your Catholic friends. They did not fall down and worship Mary. They fell down and worshiped the child. They did not just tip their hats at the Lord, just a passing worship. They didn't see the child and start playing peekaboo and going on about how cute he was, how we do with, with children sometimes. Friends, these magi, fell down on their faces and worshipped. Now these Gentile, pagan, probably idol worshippers from the East should make each one of us who have a coy attitude about worship be ashamed. Now, did they get saved? Did the wise men become Christians? Were they changed men? Are they in heaven today with the saints? We don't know. That's not recorded. But what we do know is in that moment, in that instance of time that is recorded, they understood something that we so often gloss over 
and that is taking time for true worship before a holy God. Then they presented their gifts. Now the hardest part of Christmas for me is knowing what to get people. I know I would not normally be categorized in this category, but if I had been one of those wise men, I wouldn't normally be categorized that way, traveling, taking a gift to the king, I wouldn't have known what to get. They didn't have Amazon Prime back then. I couldn't have sent it ahead. I couldn't have ordered it based on a suggestion. And it's even the last few years I've told Haley when she goes shopping, find yourself something you want, then I'm the one that gets the surprise on Christmas. She already knows it, but I'm surprised. Oh, I got you that? Well, that's nice. I didn't know I got you anything that nice. But that's, that's hard. It's hard to know what to get people. But I believe we can find a profound truth here in the Scripture of what my gift and what your gift should be to Jesus, not just this Christmas, but any time of the year or I guess we could say even every day. Now again, just like we don't know if there were three wise men, we don't know if gold, frankincense, and myrrh were the only gifts that were brought by the Magi. But God, through the Holy Spirit, had these included in Scripture because of their significance. So first we see gold. They brought gold for his royalty. Now gold is the most precious metal and it has always been a king, a medal of kings. It's not, it's not a normal child, uh, gift for a child, but it's not an ordinary for a king. So they recognized Jesus as king, so have you. Have you recognized Jesus as your king? Have you given him the submission due him? And I ask you, if not, will you? Imagine if a president or dignitary were to be visiting our church. If I were to say right now, I've been on the phone with the White House, and some important person is coming, they will be here next Sunday. Can you imagine all the things we would be doing to get ready? You know, we'd be putting on our finest clothes, we'd be making sure everything was just right. But every time we meet, Jesus is here. What's the difference? Why don't we prepare ourselves for the king the same that we would for a king? Because every person, regardless of status, notoriety, or office, will one day bow their knee to Jesus. And some of them will bow to their elation and some will bow to their horror. I ask you tonight, which category do you fall in? Secondly, we see frankincense. They gave him frankincense for his deity. Gold for his royalty, frankincense for his deity. In Exodus 30, God instructed Moses to use frankincense 
as an ingredient in a mixture that was a, a holy aromatic that was used in worship. The smell of this perfume was pleasing to God and it represented the prayers of the saints going up to him. So to offer frankincense to Jesus is to recognize his perfect sinlessness and oneness with God the Father. John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You jump down to verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was with God. Jesus was God. Jesus is God. Jesus is with God. Jesus is going to come back himself for us one day. Just as a side note, notice there, if, if you were to look at it sometime in John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the same idea that he tabernacled among us. He came for just a little while, but he came for a very important reason to do what no other person could do. But not only was he a king, but he was God himself wrapped in human flesh. I can't put my mind around that. That's part of the great mystery of the Trinity. And it's, it's doubtful that the wise men uh, totally understood it either. But faith triumphs understanding. I don't ever understand everything in the Bible, but I believe every word of it. Um, if you're waiting to understand it all, you're never going to believe it. Because that's, it's not going to happen. We're, we're not going to understand it all this side of heaven. Um, so, a question I put before you now is, where have you placed your faith? If it's not in Jesus, will you place your faith there? Will you... Give him your worship because only he is worthy. So we see gold for his royalty, frankincense for his deity, and myrrh for his humanity. Not only was Jesus totally God, but he was totally man. He wasn't part God, part man. He wasn't all God, no man. He wasn't no man, all God. He was all God and all man. And again, this is part of the great mystery. Myrrh, symbolizing his humanity, uh, does so in, in a couple of different ways. Myrrh could be used as a narcotic. What this symbolized is that Jesus would experience pain. God does not experience pain. He is spirit. But when he came in the form of Jesus, wrapped in flesh, he would experience pain. Um, in Mark 15:22, Jesus was offered myrrh mixed with wine to dull the pain while on the cross, but he rejected that narcotic so that he would feel the full pain of pain for our sin. He could have taken the easy way. You know, we've we sing songs sometimes about he could call. 10,000 angels and said, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to go through it. But even once he was on the cross as a human being, 
he could have had something to help dull the pain. But even in his humanity, he chose not to do that. He chose to experience the full physical pain of the cross. But even more so than being a narcotic, myrrh was used as a perfume in embalming dead bodies. This was part of the Jewish tradition. In John 19.38, we see Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus uh, using myrrh on the body of Jesus as they were preparing him for burial. If Jesus were all, all God and no man, he would not have experienced pain or death. But Jesus' purpose in coming to earth was to be born of a virgin, live a perfect life, and to die a perfect sacrifice for our sins. And I think we miss this sometimes. It says, you will name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He did not come to save us from hell. He came to save us from our sins. Being saved from hell is just kind of a byproduct of that. That we don't have to go there because of our sin. Jesus died for you and he died for me. Have you repented of your sin and placed your faith in him to save you from your sin? I hope you've done that and not just at some point said a little prayer just to get a get out of hell free card, but have truly repented and placed your faith in him. So if you are a Christian then, as the wise men brought their gifts, have you given him your witness? Do you tell others about him? Scripture records both the birth and the death of Jesus Christ. And the birth is very important. Uh, we couldn't have had a death without a birth. And I'm thankful it's recorded in Scripture. I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit inspired Matthew to record this historical account, not this fanciful tale, but this historical account of the wise men. But if you've noticed in the Bible, it does not record the early church celebrating the birth of Jesus. That's not saying it's wrong to celebrate Christmas. I'm thankful it's not because it's a, it's a real fine time of the year, don't you agree? Uh, that's when all the, the goodies come out and all the, the pretty lights and the, the paper and the ribbons and it's all that stuff. Now, I wish we would have picked a warmer time of year, but that's when it is. But the early church, they commemorated the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection. So this Christmas season, please don't misunderstand me. Enjoy Christmas. Enjoy it with your families. Enjoy it, especially if you've got children. But remember Easter as the holiday that has the real hope behind it. Jesus was born to die, but I'm thankful he did not stay dead, or we, of all people, would be hopeless. So my question ultimately tonight is, what will you give him 
this Christmas. Because he is king, will you give him your wealth, your resources? Does all you have truly belong to him? Everything we have is his, but is everything that we have at his disposal? Because he is God, will you give him your worship? Now don't get this backward and worship your wealth. You give your wealth to him and you worship him. But will you truly worship him? Will you fall on your face before him? And because of his sacrifice, will you give him your witness? Will you tell the world what Jesus has done for you? Will you make much of him? Let's pray. Our Father, I pray that I pray that your message has been conveyed tonight. There's many times I've wondered why you've called me to to be a communicator of your truths, but God, I pray that pray that you will be glorified by the message this evening. Father, I pray that we will always keep in mind who your son was when he came to earth, that he was king and God and sacrifice, all these in one. And Father, I pray that if there's anyone here, if there's anyone listening by radio or by internet who has truly never bowed the knee before you, that tonight would be tonight. I pray that no one who has heard the gospel would, would bow their knee for the first time on that judgment day only to be then cast out into darkness and separation from God. I pray if there's anyone here that has any need of any kind, I pray that they will lay it at your altar this evening. Father, whatever your will is, I pray that it will be done in our lives this evening. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.